Jesus asks us to have faith like a child. It's a gift to have children around because we can <laughs> be reminded of what it means to have that type of faith, even when the world seems to storm around us. As River of the Valley, we welcome everybody here. We extend our arms wide just as Christ has done that from the cross, and we are grateful. We are grateful for that cross that does bring us together. People from all over the world gathering here in one place at one time to be this visible tangible <laughs> expression of what God is doing in our world. His promise is that as soon as he came, he said, repent because what had come near? The kingdom. That's a provocative idea. He said, repent because the kingdom has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. Wherever the presence of Jesus is, the kingdom of God has already come near. And, and he said that when two or more are gathered, I will be there with you. So if we do all the math and add that up right, that means the kingdom is where? Here. The kingdom has come near here. The kingdom has drawn near. Paul talks about the idea of the kingdom of God, of the heavens, being something that we have already, but also not yet. We have it already, but the fullness, the full goodness, the full completeness of the kingdom of God that Jesus promises is still something we are excited to fully receive. It's like when you sit down for dinner, my mother's here. Every time we go to a restaurant, she has to order an appetizer. No matter where we are, appetizers have to come. And for us in the church, we have the kingdom of God as something like this foretaste, this appetizer of this full meal that's coming. But already, already we can begin to taste the goodness and fullness of the kingdom. Here at River of the Valley, um, we're doing things and we're trying, to, um, we're trying to stand up as that foretaste, our community itself. And part of that will be this coming Saturday for October 30th when we're doing our, our family night of faith in fall. We'll be doing it here on our campus, partnering with Family Rescue Center. Um, and it's going to be a time for us to be meeting the people that Family Rescue Center is able to minister to monthly and other people from our community. We'll be doing a trunk or treat, so if your kids want to come in their, in, in their uh, dress-up clothes, they can feel free to do that. There'll be, they'll be the cars decorated, and they can get some of the candy there. We'll also be having information about our church here in the lawn. I heard there's going to be pinatas throughout the evening, and Shana and youth might also be playing some other fun activities for our kids. So do come out. That's 5 to 7 on Saturday for our family faith and fall night. I want to pray over this event. Can we pray together? Lord, we pray that as we gather as a church on Saturday and as a number of people in faith come around and, and bless this campus, Lord, may you be the one who is um, moving in the lives, the hearts, the minds of people who come that are currently walking without a faith community, that you would be the one that um, is opening uh, the doors uh, of interest and that as we are here together on that evening, you would use our church, you would use our brothers and sisters here in this place, um, to be this, to be this bridge, to be this connection of your gospel, to be the foretaste of your kingdom come. Lord, we ask this in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As we move into the time of the word today, um, I want to spend one minute in silent prayer. What I'm going to ask is that you simply take any posture 
that for you is one of reception. So for some people that might be holding their hands out for the minute in prayer, for others it might be might just be saying quietly, whatever you need to do to take a posture of reception. And for one minute, we're just going to pause and ask the Holy Spirit individually that this would be a time in which you, Lord, are speaking to me. So, Father, as we move into our time with your word today, Lord, listen now to the, our hearts, to our prayers, to the reception right now as, as we open our hands, ready to receive what you have for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you did promise that you would be with us and that your Holy Spirit, that enduring presence, now lives, breathes in your church. And Father, now as we, as we enter into your word, may this be this opportunity to learn more about who you are, how you've created us, and what you have called us to. We ask this in your name, name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, Felipe, I'm going to use the piano to hold my mat. Um, so Felipe is currently in an opera. Uh, last week and this week, he is singing now for the rest of the day in that, that amazing full voice style. And so to give his voice a little bit of a rest, I said, yeah, I'll, sure, I'll help sing today. But I don't know how our balance is out there, so I'm not sure if I'm too loud. I saw, I saw some people thinking maybe I was singing a little loud. Thank you. So give us, <laughs> uh, give us a pass today on the balance of our sound because we're trying to save Felipe's voice so he can go... Uh, blow the roof off of an opera house somewhere later today. We're going to be looking at actually this the story that happens just before the passage we sing last week. Right, Jeremy? Three places in this scripture. You can find this exact story in three um, of the books we call the Gospels that describe the life of Jesus from start to finish. You can find it in Mark 5, Matthew 8, and Luke 8. We're going to be looking at the Mark version. So if you didn't know, Mark, compared to Luke and uh, Matthew and John, tends to be a little more of the, um, uh, like if you're reading the newspaper account of Jesus' life, a little more gritty, a little more um, earthy, not as polished, and much more action-packed. And so for a story like we're about to read, you'll see why I like Mark. But I'm going to go ahead and read this together here. Oh, actually, I need to set the stage. So Jesus has been doing ministry along one side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a couple mile long shore on one side of the Sea of Galilee. And he spends most of his time doing ministry within this relatively small geographic region. Even when it often says in Scripture that he went to the other side of the lake, he wasn't actually crossing the lake. He was just taking a shortcut a few miles down the shore. So it's interesting because in the story we have today, it says Jesus actually does, he does go to the other side of the lake. This was very abnormal for him. It's not what he would usually do. He was leaving the rhythm of his usual ministry. 
And he was going to bring, again, this repent because the kingdom of God has come near, this amazing story. He was going to bring it to this new region that had not had the chance to interact with him. Okay, so that's the backstory. Jesus is going to a people, to a people, to a place that had not interacted with him yet. They hadn't had the chance because they were geographically too far away. And he lands, and immediately when he lands, a man, it says, who was possessed by, by demons, by evil spirits, comes out. Now, this man was tormented by all sorts of mental illness, emotional instability. It says that the villagers would chain him down because if they didn't chain him down, he would hurt himself, destroy things. But even when they chained him down, <laughs> because he was so possessed, he would rip the chains out from the ground. Jesus, as soon as he lands, finds this man in front of him. But he's not interacting with this man. It's the evil inside of him, these evil spirits that speak to Jesus. The moment Jesus lands, the moment Jesus lands, the kingdom of God has come near, and the evil knows it. And they beg, this evil begs to not be cast away and to leave the region. And so Jesus agrees to do something really weird. He agrees to let the evil in this man go to what? Inside of a herd of pigs. And what do those pigs promptly do with all that evil? <laughs> they run to the edge of a cliff, dive off, and drown. Thousands. This is now what happens. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. Then they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Wherever Jesus is, the kingdom of God has come near to that moment and to that place. In each of our lives, the moment that, that Jesus becomes a reality in our lives, that moment, the kingdom of God has also drawn near. And when, and when we are living in this world and living in this life, what we find is that we don't always do what we wish we were doing. In fact, as Paul talks about in Romans, there are times in which our lives are marked by the decisions we've made that we're not proud of. We are constantly trying to fight our instincts, fight our desires. And this is because, just like this man, there is another power in this world that is trying to trick us into not following what God would want us. Jesus calls this other power evil. He calls this other power by name of Satan, the devil. But from the beginning of Genesis, we see this serpent that comes up and begins to whisper into our ears that we can't trust the Lord God. As C.S. Lewis says, perhaps one of the greatest, one of the greatest um, attacks that evil has done upon us is to now convince many in our society that evil doesn't even exist. That's one of the greatest tactics that 
the devil has done is to be able to let us rationalize away its very existence. And now, many people are not realizing this, this influence, this pressure upon us to, to, to not walk in the ways of the Lord. What do the ways of the Lord bring us? Peace. What else? Joy. Okay. Hope. It brings us back into how God originally intended us to live. And in so doing, back into community with one another and community with our Lord God. It brings us back into our original plan of being creatures of, of sacrificial love like Jesus models and teaches. But instead, this, this serpent is constantly with humans in this world, um, convincing them that there's a better way. And that better way is instead of living self-sacrificially, to rather think about everything that is good for me, and even to go so far as to say everybody else is against you, you have to protect everything that you have. We've been talking about this recently. Jesus lands on that shore, and he doesn't go, and it's not some uh, evangelistic preaching moment for this man to, to become more loving and sacrificial and follow him. What does Jesus confront when he lands? He confronts these, these demons, th this evil in the world. Jesus and, the, and this evil power come into battle. But I actually can't use the word battle because the moment that, that, that Jesus takes his foot out of the boat and steps onto shore, the evil already knows it's defeated. The language is that the evil begins to beg and to plead with Jesus not to cast them out somewhere. There is so much control when the kingdom of God has drawn near that it changes the fabric, the spiritual fabric of our world. Each of us identify with this man who is, who is under the influence of evil. And each of us also identify with him being redeemed and saved, that when Jesus comes into this world and has come into our lives, then evil must, must flee. Jesus' presence will come into each one of our lives, and that grip that evil has had upon us, upon our hearts, is lost. Now, we talked already about being a foretaste and the full meal coming. We have a foretaste of this grip leaving us, but until Jesus comes again or we're with him in glory, we're still prone to listen <laughs> to, those, to those evil whispers and follow the desires that do not lead to God's goodness. But that's what the presence of Jesus does for us. It does something that we could not have done on our own, which is defeat evil. Which is defeat evil. So, this amazing story that we're a part of, that, that the Lord has come, that evil is being eradicated from this world, that once again we're going to be able to live lives with peace, hope, joy, and the original design of God for us as, as living, uh, self, uh, not self-loving, but, but others loving. This is what happens next. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. These these pig, the owners of the, these herds of pigs, 
are standing there watching this scene happen. Jesus comes out of the boat. He changes the life of this, of this man from ruin to thriving, from death to life. He does this. And they see that, but then they look over and see thousands of pigs that they own run off a cliff and be lost and perish. And in their minds, they're seeing that the cost of the redemption of this man, of saving this one person, is the economy of their village. The cost of saving this one person is the economy of their, of their family and of their village. They go into the village, it said. Remember that? They go back and they report what happened. And I, it's not a good report. There's this guy who just landed. You might have heard of him, Jesus. Well, the crazy guy, he's not crazy anymore, but we lost all of our pigs because of him. And so the people of the village come out to Jesus, and what do they do? They begin to plead with Jesus to leave their region. We need to be so careful. We need to be so careful because the kingdom of God coming near makes changes in our lives, and we're not always ready to accept those changes that will lead to goodness. Amazing grace also brings amazing change. Are we, are you and I, open to the change that Jesus wants to bring into our world? We can say, yes, of course, we would love for Jesus to make all things new and, and for justice to reign. We would love for hope, peace, joy, all this stuff that we already talked about to be a part of our world. But then, but then if, if you begin to hear about all the things that would need to change that you right now like and love and are so important to you, maybe we also would be like these villagers that come to Jesus and say, actually, I kind of like the rhythm of my life. I like my Netflix shows. I like the amount of time I spend on social media. I like the way that I'm using my time right now. I like the way I'm spending my money. I like the friends I have. I like what I'm doing. The type of change that you're asking for, it might be good to save that one person, but, but if it's going to change all these other aspects of my life, I don't think I'm in. And so they begin to plead for Jesus to leave. And what is, what is the shocking thing here? Jesus obliges. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. When did Jesus say those words? From the Mount of Olives, just before his triumphal entry, just before Holy Week. Because he he had now lived this story over and over again of wanting to, to be there for people and to save them, but instead he finds resistance because the type of change that he wants to bring to us means meddling with certain aspects of our lives that we, we value. 
We have to let Jesus do what he wants and have free reign in our life so that we can experience this hope and this grace and this peace. It's an exercise of faith. Because the only way to truly let go, the only way to say, okay, take my life and let it be yours, is because we have faith that even though we can't see how it works, we have faith that on the other side of giving ourselves to the Lord, on the other side, we do find the promises of God's kingdom in us. It takes faith. Christianity is a religion of faith. It's not something I can stand here today and show you all the, all the, all the ways in which it makes sense to you. It's one of those things that you need to accept by faith, and then the Lord's presence in your life becomes the greatest good. When they ask Jesus to leave, when we push Jesus away, one of the radical things about our, our existence, our life right now, your life, is that Jesus obliges. As Jesus was getting into the boat. So they say, Jesus, it's, it'd be better if you left. Jesus said, okay. <laughs> Turns around and gets into the boat. But the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. I love this because I think our expectation would be when the guy comes to Jesus, I want to follow you. The our expectation would be for Jesus to say, yeah, jump in the boat. We're going to go back over to Capernaum. We have this awesome bachelor pad there that we've tripped out. It's, it used to be Peter's mother's-in-law's, but now it's ours. Come hang out with us. You can, you can learn all it is about, about loving other people and about following me. But that's not what Jesus says. What does he say? Go back, go back to the rhythm that you have in your home and in your workplaces and that's where you're going to follow me. Oh, this is so helpful. Because this is us. This is us. We're, we're the ones that have been saved by God's grace, by, by ways we could not be saved. And the practical way that we're called to follow him now is in our homes, with our families, in our workplaces. This is our story. We're not asked to, to go and, and, and somehow move ourselves to another place like Capernaum and, and, and follow Jesus there like the 12 disciples. We're asked to, to do it in our own way, just like, just like this man was. Go back to our home. Go back to your family. Go back to the people that you're interacting with in, in the store and in, in your workplaces. There is where you're going to follow me. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you, Jesus says. How much has the Lord done for you? How much has the Lord done for you? Saving you from, from the very real evil that would take your life and put it into the pit. Saving you from, from that eternal separation from God, from that love of your Creator. How much has Jesus done for you? Restored your life now, so from this moment forward, 
you can already begin to taste this original design of God. Again, we've talked about like the joy and the peace and the love, the hope of Christ. How much has God done for you? This ask of, of this man is the same ask that we have. As we've called him Savior, now we also must call him Lord. As we have called Jesus our Savior, we also must call him Lord. And, and follow what he tells us. Follow his lead. And his lead is for us now to be... <laughs> to be his ambassadors, to be able to, to share through the goodness of what he's done in our lives to the people in our own homes, to start there. If, if, you, um, if you are living in, in a home with another believer, take, take the time. Take the time to talk about the goodness of God. Pray together. Find the, find the ways to study some scripture together. This is the call of Christ. You are to follow him in your homes. Don't let Sunday morning right now be the only time you're interacting with Scripture. Go follow him in your workplaces. Are you praying and opening Scripture there? I'm not saying you have to be out on the corner evangelizing, but just, you know, are you, are you guarding a heart of, of love of the Lord in, in, as you're going through your day? This is such a wonderful gift to this story. Because it gives us that concrete way we're to follow Jesus. Go, he says, go and let me be Lord in your home, in your workplaces, with your families, with your friends. It's such a gift. As we uh, think about this 30th event, I want to encourage all of you that are planning to come to see this as also one of the practical places that the Lord is calling us to go and, and offer what the Lord has done in our lives to them. And it just starts with being present. That's something John Whitmore has taught me over and over again. The importance of simply being present. Because when you're there, the Lord can use you. But when you're not there, so as, as we gather on the 30th, and as we, we see all these families that are coming onto our campus with their children, may we, may we be following the Lord's call to go and to tell of all the good that he has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for the story because we see our own lives and how you have redeemed us and how you have um, eradicated evil and that grip it had upon our hearts and our lives. We desire to follow you. We're coming and instead of pushing you away, Lord, help us to welcome the changes Instead of pushing you away and asking you to leave, Lord, give us the ability to say yes to following you, wherever that might lead. Lord, we recognize that it requires faith, and so here as we pray, 
here as we pray, Lord. We want to offer ourselves afresh, saying that um, we're willing. (laughs) We're willing to have your presence with us, even if it means change. Give us the faith and the confidence we need to say yes, to, to have this posture of openness to all that you would do with us as our Lord, to where you would take us as our Lord, to where you would lead us. Lord, help us today again to say yes. We are willing and to help us in our unbelief. Amen. Amen. We talked a couple weeks back also about our financial foundation of a church. We sent some messages out about that. Um, and the call today is, is to be very mindful that each and every one of us has a part to play in reestablishing this financial base of our church. How old are we now? Who can think of it? How old is this church? 65 and a half. 66. <laughs> we can round up. 66 years old. So all those original members, all those amazing legacy members have gone on to be with, mainly to be with the Lord. And that also means that initial wave of financial foundation was so strong is now something that's coming into our hands. We need to be giving weekly to the ministry that Lord is carrying out through this church. And then in the letter we talked about how an average giving through history, I think you said was 6.5%. Is that what you told me? About 6.5% of a, of a yearly salary of your home. But if you do that per week, we all know that's going to be like four less lattes at Starbucks. Let us invest in what the Lord is doing here together and make that commitment so that we can continue forward, river of the valley, letting the world know all that the God has done for us. Amen? Amen. There's our giving boxes here. You can always do that online. Let this be a continued time of worship as you offer yourselves and seriously saying yes, saying yes to the Lord to do what he needs to do, even if it means changes, even if it means that herd of pigs running off the cliff.